Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Troy. I'm Rachel. Welcome to Sciencing Fiction. So the topic for this week is phoenixes. Troy and Lee, what do you think the question is? Do you want to go first or... Uh, sure. So I was doing a lot of research on phoenixes today, a little list of interesting things together. And, um, I mean, there's a very, the, I think the very obvious question is, how do they do that? That being what everybody knows phoenixes do. You know, like what does that mean? Rise from the ashes. Like, how do they do that? But I think the question that I, when I was trying to think like a Rachel, <laughs> I think the question, I kept coming up with people talking about eating phoenixes. Ooh. And so my question was, what the hell happens when you eat a phoenix? Sure. Yeah, that's what I got. We're definitely going back to that. Very cool. Try. So what I think you're going to ask us is when the phoenix rises out of the ashes, is it the original phoenix's offspring, a clone, or the same organism? Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> I win! Did, did, you, did you know that? No, I didn't. <gasps> wow. Very nice. It was just a thinking like a Rachel. Thinking was, like a Rachel. It was mostly because my favorite paradox is the Theseus' ship. ship. Oh my god. Okay, I'm not I'm not a philosophy. Can you uh, explain to me Theseus? Oh wait, Theseus' ship. That's the one where if you replace it one board at a time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then is it the same ship after you've placed replaced all the pieces of it? Is it the same ship or a different ship? I actually Am I correct. Yeah, and I actually had an argument with my housemate about this last night, but in terms of Star Trek. Please, oh please go yes. on. I need yes. to know. So the um teleportation devices in Star Trek. The way that they work. Do you know about this? This <laughs> is my interest. <laughs> teleportation. I'm sorry. Go on. Okay. I'm so proud. <laughs> so with the teleporters in Star Trek, if I'm understanding how they work correctly, basically what they do is they dematerialize you by turning all of your matter into light, and then they send you across to a new place. In doing so, they're destroying all of the matter that makes up you. When that happens, you die. So, Mm. the question is, is going through a teleportation unit then killing yourself, or are you being reformed as the same individual? Because everyone acts like it's normal to go through a teleporter, but the thing is, if the last thing they experience... Well, Bones and also Dr. Pulaski. Yes. Um, (laughs) But everyone acts like it's normal, but the reason they act like it's normal is if their last moment after the teleportation process started was, like, soul-crushing, unbearable agony as they die, they wouldn't remember it because the scan of them was taken a moment beforehand. (laughs) So did they die every time they got teleported? It's like Theseus' ship, but all at once. Absolutely. Oh it is my favorite thing and my biggest issue with teleportation. So the way that the Star Trek transporters work is that they break apart the bonds in your atoms, take a recording of that, and then they recreate, basically, you atom for atom in a different place. So they gotta have, like, a real solid network connection 
between that other That's, place where you're going. Star Trek has so many transporter issues. It's a very, it's a plot point. You've seen oh, the boy. episode where uh, Riker finds, like, the second Riker who was created in a transporter accident, right? Yes, I can't believe you didn't go original series. Because I haven't watched original uh, series. Okay. I watched one episode. You are missing out, my dude. Kirk splits into good and evil. They also oh, yeah. do it with Spock. No, oh, that's mirror, do. mirror, and it doesn't count. <laughs> I have, I have some feelings. An alternate universe that diverges at one point needs to diverge at only that point, and the subsequent things that happen from that decision point. <laughs> Anyways, um, there's the beautiful TOS episode, um, where they also have an organism from the surface that transports with them. It's really just a dog in a fursuit, oh, and it's oh, yeah! into good dog and I'm evil dog that just barks a bunch. <laughs> I've seen the pictures of that one. TOS is a gift. The thing with the Riker episode particularly, though, is if they are the same exact individual, then would it not be completely morally acceptable to kill one of them? Well, no, because it's still a living individual. Just because, but they're the same individual. Just because you've created a clone with sharing the exact same memories and whatnot. Okay, how about this? If, at the moment the accident happened, they noticed they had two of them, would it be moral to kill one of them in that moment before they diverged? No, because they would still be two different entities. So killing the original entity to create the second entity, then, is immoral. Yes, but in the case of the Phoenix, um... Fine. <laughs> we can argue more about Star Trek later. <laughs> if we go to Star Trek, it's gonna be a whole big thing, and I want to do that. Okay, we should hold on do to that one. Do not get me wrong, I, I love yes, Star Trek Yes, we'll hold on so to that much. one. Put it on the list. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, so yeah, so in the form of a phoenix, it basically uh, originates with ancient Greeks who think that this bird originated in Phoenicia, which is where we get phonetics and our written language is also where that originates does anybody, do you have a uh, um, phoenix definition up real quick? Uh, yeah, um, I do. So um, I just took some notes to kind of condense down an entire afternoon of Googling. Yeah, it's associated with Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon. And Phoenicia was known for a dark purple dye they made from conch shells. Mm -hmm. So although a lot of people think in their head about a phoenix being like some color or another, I always think of it being red. Um, a lot of people associate it with deep purple as well mm. because of Phoenicia. Yeah, those I, I really love Phoenicia and specifically like the purple dye because to make it, it was it, they're a mollusk, so it was um, like their ink sack uh, kind of that had the purple dye. It was like a minuscule amount. So to get any amount of dye, you'd need hundreds of shells. And they were only, like, found in a certain area. Um, Which is why purple's a color of royalty. Exactly. Yep. Um, and, I, yeah, I was reading that, too. And that, like, um, the red, like, orange type of phoenix was uh, Herodotus, I believe, who really popularized that. It was definitely someone like him. I think that sounds right. Yeah, Herodotus, um, he noticed the similarities between um, this phoenix that the Greeks talked about and the Egyptian Bennu, um, which is also a bird he described as looking like a red and golden eagle. Um, he said it was about the size of the eagle. Some people have said it was bigger, maybe up to the size of an ostrich, but eagle seems to be kind of like the the average of what people think. 
And there's also this recurring pattern of, like, it comes every 500 years. Some yeah. people say up to 1,000, but a lot of mythology says every 500 years, it lives for 500 years, then it dies, and there's a new one that comes out. I want to know how they were, how, how it was that they were recording this, like, that they had noticed this pattern, because it takes three times of the same thing happening for it to be a pattern. So that means that 1,500 years ago, they wrote it down. Uh, Pliny the Elder was one of the people who propagated the phoenix. They weren't big on evidence-based history. No. Fair enough. Good <laughs> oh, at writing shit down, though. Um, and, yeah, one of the cool things is, so, 500 years is definitely repeated, um, and apparently the phoenix can either die in flames and combustion, but there are other sources, according to Wikipedia, that claim that the legendary bird dies and simply decomposes before being born again. Mm -hmm. Which I think is an interesting twist to it. Um, but I think the association with the sun and the phoenix um, is what kind of led to the fire association. Mm -hmm. Related thing that I don't understand from Heterodotus, and I've read this over multiple times to try to understand what the hell he was talking about. Let's see where exactly it is. They tell a story of what this bird does, and this is a direct quote, which does not seem to me to be credible. At least he admits it. <laughs> that he comes all the way from Arabia and brings the parent bird, all plastered over with myrrh to the Temple of the Sun, and there buries the body. In order to bring him, they say, he first forms a ball of myrrh as big as he finds that he can carry, then he hollows out the ball and puts his parent inside, after which he covers over the opening with fresh myrrh, and the ball is then of exactly the same weight as at first. So he brings it to Egypt, plastered over, as I have said, deposits and deposits in the Temple of the Sun. Such is the story they tell of the doings of this bird. What the hell does that mean? Yeah, 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 I saw this also. Um, and it's uh, retold a bit by um, Tina Garnet wrote a book about the phoenix in different, like... Um, mythology from is around there. Is this modern scholar or ancient? This is a modern scholar writing a nonfiction book about, like, she's compiled all of these okay, myths cool. about the phoenix. So, it, um, And, yeah, she reiterates that, like, the baby brings, the baby phoenix brings the ashes of its parent back to Heliopolis in Weird. Egypt. So it wraps it in myrrh, and apparently myrrh is a recurring thing here. Yeah, so myrrh is kind of a recurring theme here. Uh, I noticed, too, that apparently like a lot of sources say that they eat myrrh, um, and that they it's a self-created fire, so it's not just that they, like, um, randomly, like, spontaneously combust like it does in the <laughs> Harry Potter movie. Like, they build a fire out of aromatic Ooh. woods, like cinnamon and other things that smell really nice. They nice. build this flammable nest. Yeah, and then they set it on fire. So it's like a self-immolation type thing. Mm. Um, and then the baby comes from that. They gather, gather up the ashes and they bring them back in this little, like, ball. Made oh! Like so it's after the phoenix is reborn. Yes. It brings the ball of the ashes it came out of. Okay. Yes. So that oh. was... I was also very confused when reading Herodotus's Well, he makes recounting. no sense. Yeah. And then when I read it again, how Tina Garnet like, reconstructed it, I was like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. When they were talking about the parent bird, I assumed that, like, it laid an egg and then died and then would come back to life once uh, it was brought to Heliopolis, and I was like, yeah. how the hell does this make any sense? Yeah, no. 
Oh, that reminds me of another dumb question that somebody asked about phoenixes recently when I asked someone in my life for ideas, which was, do phoenixes reproduce or do do they just do the thing? And I'm making a gesture to, like, indicate cyclicalness right now for anybody listening at home. But <laughs> do, wait, so they look like waves, uh, to be honest. Say so your question again, do they reproduce or do they just... Do they only do the cycle where one individual becomes one individual becomes one individual? Or do they also mate and lay eggs? Mm, that is a question. Is there more than one phoenix or is there just one phoenix? It's true. Well... Yeah. Y'all, get on that Google. I got Theseus' shit paradox. So, I, I kind of want to read about this paradox, just because it is my favorite paradox. Um, it was apparently... So, it, it is a thought experiment, and it was apparently uh, discussed um, in uh, Her Heraclitus and Plato uh, in 500 BCE. So, this is a very old paradox. Um so it supposes that, like, the hero Theseus, uh, in a great battle, uh, his famous ship was uh, destroyed in some way. Let's say, like, the mast was destroyed. And the mast is replaced. It is still the same ship. If over time uh, you replace pieces of the ship to the point where, let's say, a hundred years later, there are no remaining pieces of the old ship left, does that make it a different ship or does it make it the same ship? Um, there's also a secondary piece to this, which is suppose that each of the removed pieces were stored in a warehouse, and after a century, technology developed to cure their rotting and enable them to be put back together to make a ship. Is the reconstructed ship the original ship? If so, is the restored ship in the harbor still the same ship? This is a very good question. I love that so much. My inclination is to say that things things are what we make them. Things are the weight that we put on them. Like Theseus' that. ship is Theseus' ship because it is his ship, and yeah. this is his thing that he owns, and no matter what he replaces it with, it's still his ship, and we call it his ship, and it is so because he has laid ownership to it, and he has defined it as a thing. But after he dies, I think, because it's over a hundred years. However, I do agree with you that it's arbitrary definitions created by humans. Yeah, I think that's where the meaning in it lies. Like a species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. The, the crux of most paradoxes are in the limitations of human language. Uh, but that also begs the question for a phoenix, which is, a, like, let's say alive, uh, rather than a ship. Mm -hmm. Does it have the same memories as the old phoenix mm. after it is reborn? That entirely depends on where the memories are stored. If they're stored in the brain and it completely decays or immolates, then no. However, if the phoenix uh, implies some sort of existence of an immortal soul, then it might be different. It's not as if the memories are stored in the soul regardless. I want to bring it back to Star Trek for just a hot second of... The atoms are completely, like, all the connections between all of your atoms destroyed and then recreated. Yeah. If you are recreating those neural connections, they could still have the same memories. Yes, but in order for that to happen, they have to be recreated instantly. If I understand the Phoenix story right, a juvenile Phoenix comes out of the flames and then goes through an entire life, doesn't it? 
That's true. Yeah, that that is what I've heard. But and it doesn't specifically so. say like yeah, it is a juvenile version. It just says it's reborn new. Yeah, but the fact that Heterodotus calls it the parent suggests to me that it's younger. Also, otherwise, if it was exactly the same age, then what would be the point in uh, doing this? Um, I guess we would have to look and see whether most sources imply it to be young or not. But if it is young, then it would be the same as if I were to clone myself, then clone me would be an infant and thus would go through an entire different series of life experiences and might end up an entirely different person. It's true, but it can still have the memories of a previous life. A clone? No. Because a clone is DNA, not neural. Well, not a clone, but I, I mean if you remap yourself. Not that we have the technology to. Not So you're saying not a current clone as we know it now, which is taking your DNA, putting it in an empty zygote, recreating someone with your same genetic mapping, but they come out as an infant and they grow up. That's our understanding of cloning now. But if we were to have futuristic cloning technology, such as a... Star Trek transporter, where you could just take the map of yourself and then recreate it to make a a clone of yourself as you are now. Yes. So the question is just, does Phoenix come out as baby or fully grown? Yes. How is Phoenix baby formed? (laughs) How bird get pregnant? (laughs) Gregnant? I'm stopping memes. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, Gregnerk is my favorite meme. <laughs> I might have a little bit to add to this. Um, First, Pregagonant. <laughs> okay, now you can go. Pregagonant. Podcast is over. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. I I did okay. find a little bit. Of, I find a little bit of this. Um, there is a Jewish legend of a bird um, called the Milchan, um, and it has a lot of the same things of the phoenix. It sort of trends with that. I'm not sure, like, you know, which came first or whatever, but it just runs parallel to this. Um, and in the Garden of Eden, where Eve, she eats the forbidden fruit, and then she gets all this knowledge. Um, she apparently goes around and tempts all of the other animals as well Ooh. with a bite of the fruit. Interesting. Uh, and the Milcham bird is the only one that does not partake of the fruit. Wait, what? Is yes. this, which version of the story is that? Because that means animals know the difference between right and wrong. Not necessarily. I That's what the fruit of knowledge gives you, is the knowledge of right and wrong. It, true, but not choosing to eat the fruit does not mean that you know the gravitas of the situation. No, I'm saying that if, the ones that choose to eat the fruit are then blessed slash cursed with the knowledge yeah, of like a cow, right like a cow knows it's wrong yeah. to shoot people. Yeah, uh, the cow okay, eats what, a bite of the apple and then goes, oh my god, I discovered morality. Well, okay, so I'm not sure. Maybe <laughs> somebody can, maybe somebody can flesh out true, the... Then. What's going on with the feral hogs? 30 to 50... <laughs> morally aware hogs. (laughs) Maybe somebody can flesh out then from, uh, like, a Jewish perspective of what that um, myth is saying, like, what the the fruit does, because it says in here that it's um, the effect of eating that fruit, or one of the effects, the noted effect in the story is death. You will, if you've partaken of the fruit, you will live a 
lifespan and you will die. So because the Milchan bird refused, it was granted immunity to the angel of death. So um, because it didn't taste this fruit, it has mortality. It lives for 500 years. It dies and is reborn to live another 500 years and then die and be reborn. And this cyclical... That would also lead to there being one phoenix. Yes. So this lends credence to there being one phoenix and possibly also the idea of it having some sort of like immortal soul that it, it is being reborn to to uh be a vessel to this soul because it is like this immortal bird yeah so it, it lends it to being like one bird relatedly um uh, speaking of uh biblical and torah interpretations um on a more biblical and New Testament side, I've also heard that the phoenix represents the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, that came later. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as sort of like it a, a metaphor for rebirth. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of. But that does also it's associated with the sun and Heliopolis, Helios. I think that probably originally it had something to do more with the rising and setting of the sun and the changing of the seasons. Possibly, yeah. And there's a there's a lot of confluence here. Like there's a um there's a lot of parallels between the uh like Isis and her son Ra in Egyptian mythology and the Virgin Mary and her son Jesus oh, in yeah. Christian mythology. So there's a lot of parallels between art and the story and things of like there's um just a lot that's like been um I don't know, I've lost the word. Um but this, this kind of happens sometimes when people, they move around and they pick up stories and they tell stories and, yeah. um, it's, uh, it is a thing, it is a thing that has a word, um, I can't remember, the word's gonna come back to me later, um, but yeah, it's sort of this, yeah, cross-pollination, if you will, okay. um, of, uh, especially, like, um, like, large, uh, sort of tropes, I guess, within... Yeah. It's it's interesting. I'm also reading a source that, like, the Greek named it the phoenix, but it's associated with the Egyptian Bennu, mm-hmm. uh, Native American Thunderbird, the Russian Firebird, uh, Chinese Fen Huang, uh, and the Japanese Ho. Ho-Oh, yeah! I just saw that, too! That's yeah. super cool! Oh, you guys are on the same website. Yes, I we can are. see on your phone. <laughs> Ancient-Origins.net um, so I want to say one more thing about the only one bird being alive at a time is this is a this is a thing in Renaissance literature uh, where they were I guess at times obsessed with the thought of eating phoenix and it was so rare oh, and it was such a delicacy because there was a story only about that. one alive at a time was it Neil Gaiman yes it was yes that's yes. a good story yeah so Neil Gaiman borrows this idea in his short story Sunbird where uh, he has this idea that when you eat the the phoenix, the years burn off of you, and you get this eternal youth. Yeah, and don't go into how it ends, because I remember it ending really, really surprising and good. Uh, I have, I have not read it. it, I just read about okay, it, good. but uh, there we go, we have one recommendation. Welcome to our book review podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do Here's have to... our book recommendations for people eating phoenix, if mm-hmm. that is your special interest. I would eat a phoenix. 
Which also reminds me of the fact that I really won't still want to do an episode about eating Pokemon at some point. Absolutely. Um, we'll put that on the speaking we'll put that on the docket. Well, speaking of Pokemon, um Ho-Oh actually lends credence also to the idea that there is only one not Phoenix. Use Pokemon as a source. But we material. can because so many of the Pokemon use mythology and Japanese mythology in particular as their source material. Okay, so instead of uh, we're going to do the Wikipedia trick. But it's a legendary Pokemon and there's only one! Hold on, wait, we're going to use the Wikipedia trick. You've given me the Wikipedia article for the Pokemon and I'm going back to the source material of the Ho-Oh. Okay. Just with, just with one O. Or no H at the end. Oh, the, with the H at the end, it is the Pokemon. Yes. No H, it is the mythical. Uh, I'm going to look at Feng, Feng Huang. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I'm finding uh, Feng Huang or Ho-Oh legendary Pokemon. Resembling the Feng Huang. Uh, so I think, uh, uh, I think Feng Huang is what we're going to have oh, to look at. Oh, here we go, at. here we go. It's got little things over it. Okay, Diet so it, criticals. it is, yeah, it is, um, it is blending it in here, just on the Wikipedia page with the Feng Huang. So, uh, what, August what do you got there, Rachel? Um, so it's definitely got the same association with fire, sometimes depicted as having three legs, um, and it's believed that the bird only appears in areas or places that are blessed with utmost peace, prosperity, or happiness. Oh, but it also says here that there are multiple Feng Huang because the Feng is the male and the Huang is the female. But then it also says that the distinction of gender is often no longer made and they're blurred into a single entity. Um, so, I don't know, historically maybe there's been more than one, but now as the myth has evolved, there's only one? Yeah, so apparently during the Han Dynasty, uh, so that's 2,200 years ago, two phoenixes, one male and the other female, were often shown together facing one another. Later, during the Yuan Dynasty, the two uh, were merged to become Feng Huang. Uh, but the king of birds came to symbolize the empress when paired with the dragon representing the emperor. Okay, so then I'm seeing it is the same thing, pretty much, as the Japanese one. Um, Ho'oh is simply the Japanese pronunciation oh, okay. uh, of, of that word. So, are we pronouncing it terribly wrong, or are they just totally different words and not a pronunciation difference? I am not sure how to pronounce a diacritic O. Because I can't imagine that a word spelled ho would be pronounced fenghuang, that it would be from the same uh, um, well, this etymological a- source. Um, this says that Chinese vowels with ng usually are converted to a diacritic O. So... Okay, I can kind of see that. So, if you take Huang, and then you change the NG to an O... Oh. Okay, ho, yeah, I ho, see that. Yeah, Ho kind of, I guess. Do they not use the N sound in Japanese, then? Or is it no, just a transliteration issue? Um, as far as I'm aware, there's not that swallowed N sound. Okay. I guess that makes sense, then. But there is in, in Chinese, I've heard quite often. Yeah. So it doesn't have the same rebirth association. Good question. I'm not seeing much on that. I do see like a lot of uh, association with prosperity. Um, and yeah, immortality. I don't. I don't think it does have the same rebirth. Similarly, I'm not. I don't know very much about the Thunderbird myth, but I don't think that the Thunderbird has this sort of rebirth of itself the same way that that a phoenix does. Mm-hmm. How about you look up Thunderbird and I'll go um, Russian Firebird. Me look up Thunderbird. Yeah. Okay. 
Also, Thanks. Lee, if you want to look up the vermilion bird, that's another thing that was recommended. Alright. Let's see. We're editing out the Google uh, For vermilion we... bird... Yeah. Nobody wants to hear us Google. Vermilion bird is also Chinese. Um, it's one of the Chinese constellations. It, uh, it does have fire-colored plumage and is described as perpetually covered in flames. So it does have that sort of similar... Um, guess designed to a phoenix it is very selective about what it eats which is very similar to um the phoenix in the research that i have done yeah i kept saying the phoenix doesn't eat fruit it eats uh or yeah eats or collects like aromatic yeah it eats myrrh and cardamom um same (laughs) <laughs> which is, uh, he's got some expensive tastes. Yeah, right. uh, And, yeah, and, like, incense and things like that. He uh, eats, you know, maybe things that, um, you know, people might burn, like myrrhs and incense. People would mm-hmm. burn the resin. So I guess maybe that kind of tracks, and that is this firebird that eats things that people normally burn. Um, and Dante is the one who um, suggests this, that he eats incense and cardamom. Um, and when he is ready to die, he makes himself a, a winding sheet, a sort of shroud out of myrrh and spikenard, which is... Spikenard! Yes, spikenard. It's our... That's where I'm going to start calling people as insults. What's <laughs> up, spikenard? What's up, spikenard? Give me your lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> um, spikenard, spikenard is an herb that's in the valerian family. Oh, okay. Um, which valerian is known for its sleep time. Yeah. qualities. Yeah, so maybe it sort of like that. puts itself to sleep. Oh. It burns itself peacefully. Not, yeah, like well, that's it's kind of nice. It, it, it sounds, I don't know if that emulation. is an actual thing that happens. Like, if you were to rub yourself in valerian and light yourself on fire, would it be peaceful? I don't think so. Probably but not. maybe if you're used to it and you do it every five hundred years. I mean, can you really be used to something that only happens once every five hundred years? No. Yeah. Well, I, if time happens different for you because you live forever. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> oh. So, um, I found enough about the Thunderbird to say that I don't think it has the same immortality implications. Um, what I did find that was interesting about it, though, is that apparently it is considered to be a messenger of the Great Sun by some peoples. Um, this is specifically referenced by, and I'm going to butcher this name because I know nothing about the tribes of northern Wisconsin, but it's spelled Menominee. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, like I said, I know nothing about how anybody in Wisconsin says anything, but um, it's but they say that um, uh, the Thunderbird is a messenger of the Great Sun, so there's the Sun connection. Um, yeah, the Russian Firebird, it seems, does have like the the fire association, but it doesn't have the immortality or the rebirth. Um, but a cool little thing, apparently a, a feather from the firebird uh, can light up a whole room if it's not properly covered. Because it's so bright. Ah! Very cool. Let's see, let's see what can we find. Well, apparently uh, Britannica.com says that Feng Huang is immortal. So that's cool. What? <laughs> so that's a one tick in the box, Britannica.com. <laughs> okay. Okay. Did you find now something? Now we're getting somewhere. The Bennu, the um, Egyptian kind of associated phoenix kind of bird, uh, 
has the association with the sun, um, and is said to have brought life to itself. Um, it also, um, Greek historian Herodotus, writing about Egypt in the 5th century, wrote that the people at Heliopolis described the phoenix to him. Uh, no, it went phoenix, God damn it. Um, the name of the phoenix could be derived from Bennu, and its rebirth connections with the sun resemble those of the Bennu bird, although Egyptian sources do not mention the bird's death. They just mention immortality. Interesting. Alright, so I'm seeing something here. Um, I am really wanting sources for this, and I don't have any, so grain of salt. But um, apparently the phoenix, like when he's ready to die, um, he goes to the spice groves in Arabia where he gets his like herbs and spices and cinnamon and stuff to make his little, um, his little funeral pyre. Uh, and he waits for the sun to rise, and as the sun comes up, the phoenix sings this beautiful and haunting song, which is so perfect that uh, the sun god just stops and listens and really enjoys it. Um, and then the sun continues once it you know finishes um, its song. The sun continues across the sky, um, and there's a spark that falls from the sun that ignites the nest of herbs. Uh, and the phoenix goes up in flames, and all that is left is a tiny worm. Wait, what? I don't know where that worm's wow. coming from. Wait, instead of a baby phoenix, it's... Yeah, and it says here, after three days, a new phoenix would rise from the ashes, supportedly, like, or supposedly being transformed from the worm, oh, which then is uh, an interesting parallel between the three days that Christ spent in the, mm, in the tomb. Yeah. So I don't know if that is post-Christianity or what. Specifically the three days. I haven't seen that on any other yeah. sources. That yeah. seems... Um, it's also interesting because they used to believe that worms, like, spontaneously were yeah. created out of dirt. Um, so I would guess it it is... Definitely early on, but probably Christ-associated. This also is a really interesting tie-in with the fact that some people believe that the body decomposes. Oh, yeah? And apparently yeah. most versions of the story say that that decomposition lasts oh, three days. Okay. And then, the if there is a worm in there, maybe that's where they thought this worm came from. Because there's worms and things that are rotting. It's just a maggoty little dude. This is a maggoty little boy. Maggoty boy. I can't find anything about whether the new phoenix is a baby-sized or not. Yeah, I'm trying to find that, too. Maybe instead of looking for words, I'm going to try looking for art of the phoenix being reborn. Because apparently if you Google Phoenix, is the reborn Phoenix a baby, there's one of those creepy reborn dolls is named Phoenix. <laughs> I also kept getting so much stuff about, like, Phoenix the superhero when yeah, I tried to I, Google I her. That. And I was like, this is not, nothing on there was, it was all just Jean Grey, Jean Grey, Jean Grey. I mean, she is cool, but. That's not what I'm looking for. I think we might have to drop the looking for actual evidence of how old it is and just yeah, turn to another. Now, I, I, there's a neat thing here that might uh, answer a question, or at least start to, about metempsychosis in, mm. uh, in Greek mythology. Um, 
apparently this phoenix um, could fit into this philosophical term called metempsychosis, uh, which is the transmigration of the soul, um, where the spirit of a person is reincarnated after death. So, like if they're transported? Yes, like if they're transported <laughs> in Star Trek, um, or if they are a phoenix that dies and it, you know, if it is transformed and rebirthed into another phoenix. Um, yeah, metaphorically, it does, I think, often symbolize to people, like, rebirth of the self, as in, like, new year, new me, recreating myself, phoenix from the ashes, but... Is that because that is what the phoenix does, or because that's what people want to use the phoenix to represent? You know, does it actually do that? Does it um does it actually like re rebirth its soul into the new one, or is it just is it another phoenix? Uh, so, I have on the opposite end of thing the actually sciencing the fiction end of it, um, which. I realize um, we've mostly been looking at the myth of the fiction at the moment, but I found something about a creature that does something kind of similar to the phoenix, which is another name that I'm going to butcher, Turritopsis dorini, the immortal jellyfish. (laughs) The immortal jellyfish, I'm just going to read this off of Wikipedia because this is a fantastic summary. It's a hydrozoan jelly. And the way that it works, actually, I'm going to try to summarize it because this is a lot. Um, Basically, it's a hydrozoan jelly that starts its life as a free-swimming larva called a planula. And over time, it settles down and then makes a little polyp colony. And that polyp colony is stuck in one place, like jellyfish polyps are wont to do in general. So all polyps and jellyfish arriving from single planula would be genetically identical clones. What's unique about this, the polyps form into an extensively branched form, not commonly seen in most jellyfish. Jellyfish, also known as medusae, then butt off these polyps and continue their life in a free-swimming form. Eventually, they sexually mature. When they are mature, if they get sick or way too old or stressed out or hurt, they can revert back to their polyp stage, forming a new colony. It does this through the cell development process of transdifferentiation, which alters the differentiated state of the cells and transforms them into new types of cells. Theoretically, this can go on indefinitely. Whoa. So, real-life uh, phoenix right there. So, in nature, apparently, uh, most are likely to succumb to predation or disease in the Medusa stage without reverting to the polyp form. Um... The capability, though, is is very interesting. Um, yeah. And now I'm looking into transdifferentiation to see if phoenixes could be doing that. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. So I think whether or not they can scientifically do it, I think that's a very good question to answer, and I think one that you were on your way, Troy, to answering. Um, our our base question is, what is it? Yeah. Is it the same animal or is it a different animal? And I think that that paradox of Theseus's ship is just so good. Like, I think it's sort of how you look at it and how you define it. But I don't think that 
the phoenix is the only animal. When I started thinking about, like, trying to figure out, like, what is it, I thought about things like uh, anemones and coral polyps that reproduce through fission. Mm. And if you have one parent organism that then splits into two organisms, what's going on there? Are they both the parent? Is one of them the parent and the other is now the offspring? One of them is the parent and the other is technically the offspring. Which one is the parent? Because um, in the splitting of cells, like it, it is with cell division, but I believe there's crossing over that happens within the chromosomes. Okay. Let me, Wait, let me so double check. Are you saying there is a genetically different individual that comes out with the crossing of chromosomes? Yes, that that's what happens. But let me let me check about Paul specifically. I I really do love that. I think that's sort of a good biological parallel. And we're going back to Nidarian. Well, if we're going like full polyp and yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's Nidarians that seem to have really the best. I think um, parallel to this idea. But I think it is because they are so simple that it's they're able to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think this sort of um, what what was it that they do? D um, when the cells revert. There's a word for it. D differentiated when they de differentiate. Okay. Yeah, when they de differentiate their cells. Um, I think it's a lot easier for a jellyfish to do that than a yeah. It, it wouldn't be a one to one to mammals, but this is the closest biological basis we have to it. Mammals? Oh, yeah, sorry. Birds. <laughs> the phoenix is a mammal. Yeah, that's re- what... It's we record warm-blooded. these podcasts after work, is all I'm gonna say. <laughs> okay, I don't know what I'm... I don't know how I can just not Google this right, but I keep trying to Google to see, like, has anybody else, like discuss this question and have anything to weigh on on, like, Reddit or something, and I just keep getting, like, an Amazon page for, like, a weighted blanket with a cool phoenix design on it. Like, this is, has, really, has nobody else wondered this? It looks bad, by the way. It's not a good, it's not good (laughs) art. Still better than my terrifying, hyper-realistic baby dolls that I keep finding. Yeah, those are not good. Apparently, okay, so apparently, uh, fission... Uh, is without any genetic alteration or recombination. Yes, so it, which is it would why be an exact clone. Yeah. yeah, which is why it's not genetically advantageous because yeah. you don't get any sort of mixing that could lend better um, resilience to your offspring. Oh my god, I just, I can't, oh my god, I can't find any... Wait. <laughs> I have two... Two headlines on this Google search. Something about Bennu apparently is a character maybe in like a video game and now has an option to disable adult content. And then there's some other sort of Phoenix Reborn porn add-on. I don't know what that is. That's not what I want. This is definitely gonna (laughs) cut. Why is this happening? I feel like this is just turning into a podcast about or an episode of just about all giant birds. As we are just desperately screaming for answers. There's a surprisingly small amount of information about phoenixes out there. Yeah. It's weird. Oh dear. 
Okay, so this is the the Simurg, um, a benevolent mythical bird in Iranian mythology. Um, it's sometimes equated with a phoenix, but it's described as a peacock. Okay, so first of all, it is winged and big enough to carry off an elephant or a whale. So this thing is huge. It appears as a peacock with the head of a dog and the claws of a lion, sometimes, however, also with a human face. What? Bad. No, fantastic. I Bad. love it. I hate it. It's, it's both the best <laughs> and the worst. It's the Simurgh is inherently, this is straight off Wikipedia, inherently benevolent and unambiguously female. <laughs> <laughs> just like in cartoons where they give everyone eyelashes yes she's got eyelashes and a waspish waspish waist and a bow just just and to a make bow. super clear yeah. <laughs> mini mouse bird <laughs> but okay so we really have three choices yeah. it is a clone it is the same organism or it is a child of that original organism the Cloning method would mean that the, like, original entity is, like, all the cells are destroyed, uh, it gets, not even recreated, but at least, like, has the same genetic makeup. Do phoenixes have genetic makeup? I think we have to assume they do, otherwise we can't know anything about it and make any sort of... That's true, otherwise it becomes magic. Yeah, and no magic. Exactly. Okay. So... I think the way for it to be the same entity is if it shares memories or a soul. Yeah. And those are kind of indefinite things. We can't really say that it has the same soul. Yeah. You know? So really we're thinking clone or offspring. Yeah, which just comes down to is there recombination or not? Which almost for like any type of like even if it was asexual reproduction, you know, it's going to be like a clone. Yeah. Because there's not going to be any recombination. There's not going to yeah. be any additional genetic material added or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's true. So uh, clone. Yeah. So almost clone or... I really want it to be the same original entity, but there's really no proof. How do we determine the difference between a clone and the exact same entity? It's a very good question, and I don't think we can. But yeah, it's the difference between a clone and the same individual. <laughs> is how can someone from the outside prove? Actually, yeah. How could someone from the outside prove? Which is, comes back to the teleporter question. Of yeah. You will never know if that person has died or not. Yeah. God, that's horrifying. Yeah, I like to think yes, which is why teleporters are a terrible idea. Yep. I did find somebody talking philosophically about Phoenix and the Theses' ship paradox, so Hell that yeah. might be useful. A book from 2001 called The Emergent Self specifically ties the Phoenix to Theseus' ship, saying, and I quote, let's see, where does this start? In his attempt to find an object that can survive even this radical kind of disassembly, Herbert settles up at last on a mythical object, the phoenix. But to meet his requirement, the myth must be interpreted a particular way. We have to understand it not as a series of birds uh, producing offspring, but as a single individual. 
Okay, so, so this it, is... it takes the question and makes a huge assumptive leap. Yeah, so it looks like actually this guy is just saying, in order to answer this other question, we're going to have to assume that it behaves in this particular way, but doesn't actually argue why, and it looks like he's using this to argue about Theseus's ship. Ah. So never mind, that's useless. Dang. But it means that you're not the only one who has made the connection between the two. That's true. Yeah. It is... Rebirth is is a big part of it, which means that we can connect Phoenix's two transporters. Yeah. Which I do like. I do like that. Yeah, yep, to anything... You find anything interesting over there? I'm looking. I'm trying to find out about this worm. Is it possible that it's like a hideous little zygote. Oh god. <laughs> so, what I'm finding, I'm not really sure. I keep trying to find out where this worm comes from, and I can't, like, in, like, literature, and I can't really find a source for where this worm idea is coming from. But these websites are saying again and again that uh, the worm emerges from the ashes of the dying bird. And on the second day, the worm is nourished um, by the juices of the dead bird, and a new phoenix is born. And then on the third day, it flies away. Yeah, I, I was also finding things that, like, the phoenix actually does come from the worm, and that it is the sun that yeah, the transforms sun. it eventually uh, into a phoenix. Yeah. And they're saying that, so we, we talked about the connection with um, the, the phoenix connecting to Jesus with dying and then being reborn on the third day, um, or being resurrected. It's the same Jesus who is resurrected, brought back from the dead, unlike, I think, the phoenix turns into ashes, so it's not the same body um, for the phoenix. But it says that the phoenix is also a symbol of the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Birth. Huh? Oh. Because this bird is reproducing itself without a sexual element. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It does, in a strange way. And it, I do find that the phoenix myth itself is really interesting. Yeah. Because eggs have been, I don't know how far back it goes, but are a symbol of, you know, birth and spring and renewal. <laughs> um, and to have a specific bird myth that bypasses all of the things that we associate with birds symbolically. Yeah. It's very fascinating. Okay, so I just, I found here, um, Artemidorus the Ephesian was the one who said that the worm is produced from the ashes. And this worm being transformed becomes again a phoenix. <gasps> it is like the polyp. The worm is the polyp. The worm is the polyp. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> There's a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wouldn't even wear that. That is fucking rad, actually. The worm, the worm is the polyp. So does the act of burning somehow help de-differentiate the cells it would have of the to. phoenix into a polyp? Well, the ones that specifically talk about the worm are associated with the decomposition of the phoenix. Not necessarily. Really? Ooh. Not necessarily. I made that leap. I thought that was an interesting leap to make. Um, but let's see here. What? Artemidorus. Uh, 
has to say more. Apparently Phoenix Wild is the name of a worm. That's not helpful. Yeah, I found that too. They're great for bearded dragons. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, completely useless, but kind of cool. Okay, how do I find out what Artemidorus had to say about the Phoenix? Alright, so there's apparently a whole book uh, about the myth of the Phoenix according to early cl- or to classical and early Christian something okay. uh, by Vanderbrook. And where do you see the being reborn in fire and also the worm? Because every time I find the worm, it is always with decomposition of the body. I am trying to find a connection. That's what I'm trying to find here. Because I do like the decomposition kind of idea, because if you think about caterpillar metamorphose, they basically become liquid before they reform. That is very, very true. And, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that when we were talking about this earlier, is they have shown they would teach caterpillars how to do things. And they would teach them in ways that they had to remember. They would condition them to do things. They would allow the caterpillars... Scientists. Oh, yeah. um, They would allow the caterpillars to undergo metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. The butterflies that came out of those chrysalis still had the memories, were still conditioned. So even though they turn into goop in the chrysalis, they retain the training that they've received before. Wow, okay, so that is some neural connectivity that is Yes, somehow it's kept, and we don't know how. That is rad as hell. Yeah, so there is precedent there. So if this is truly, if the worm is part of the phoenix and it's reverting back to a polyp-like state that it could be retaining its memories. Yes. That's so cool, Lee! That I cannot believe that I forgot that because that's one of my favorite things I to know. tell people about <laughs> caterpillars and butterflies. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Incredible. So I think we have just enough basis to say it is either a clone or it is the same individual. That We really have... If the if the worm is totipotent, then it is the same individual. I feel like it's more likely than it is that it's cloning itself, and I have no evidence for that, but I like how it sounds better. <laughs> yeah. Do either of you have any thoughts on evidence one way or the other, though? Before we just... Whether, whether it's... Um... A clone or a continuation? Yeah. I I would say that it is a continuation. I really like the polyp idea. Okay, cool. I like the polyp idea. Um, I uh, I was considering it at one point maybe some sort of parthenogenesis mm-hmm. as an uh, explanation, but I really don't think that that fits. I think it's got to be the same individual, and I don't think that there is much evidence for cloning. Yeah, and it fits better with the thematic message of the phoenix, which is renewal, rebirth of the same individual, immortality. That's true. I I think that if it is the phoenix decomposes and, like, a worm is in its Mm -hmm. place, then we can pretty much say it is the same individual. Yeah. I think the fire aspect of it, of 
you know, of combusting, maybe leads a little bit of credence to the clone claim. Yeah. Which is my favorite alliteration. What a fucking boss ending. Sorry. (laughs) What a great ending. Wow. The family-friendly version. (laughs) Are we trying to be family-friendly? You know what? I think we already biffed it. We already biffed it on day one, Rachel. Snoobs? Snoobs! (laughs) Also, I saw a meme about snoobs the other day. Oh my god. Yes. So, we're not the only ones who have thought about snoobs for what it's worth. Yeah, that's very fair. We killed a family friendly. All right. Um, our next topic is going to be a fun one, um, which has... We we might have already discussed a little bit because it mostly came from Troy during D&D, which stopped an entire session for about two hours. Um, yes. But it is specific to centaurs. Um, there might not be a question generation, but it... Boy, is it going to be a big topic. Oh my yeah. god. Great. I think we'll just title it, like, Centaur deep dive. No, how about centaur? The horso. The horso. The horse in some photo companions to our episodes so you can follow along with our visual references. And if you want it short and sweet, we're also on Twitter at ScienceingFic. That's S-C-I-E-N-C-E-I-N-G-F-I-C. Also, make sure to subscribe if you want to be among the first to hear when a new episode comes out. No cryptids were harmed in the making of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, bye!